Good morning. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Carl's off this week, but uh, Arnie and Ron are in their usual positions, and Sheila and Aniela this morning, Aniela Marie Perry is with us. So thank you so much. They're going to play more for us as we move on. Hello to all those who are worshiping online with us all across the island, across the country. Welcome to you. And thank you all for being here. Summer arrived, huh? Summer arrived. Longest day of the year uh, was this week. So this is every year. This is when I preach the longest sermon of my year. Just kidding. The order of service is printed on your bulletin and everything will be projected for you. If it's comfortable, I'd invite you to stand. Gathered in God's house, we worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our gathering hymn, When Morning Gilds the Skies. with our litany for this morning, responsive reading projected for you. Married, divorced, or single here? Conservative or liberal here? Big or small here? Doubt or belief here? Gay or straight here? Woman or man here, whatever your race here, in imitation of the ridiculous love God has for us, let us glorify God. Our hymn of uh, praise is a prayer, really, uh, that in our life, in all aspects of our life, our Lord will be glorified.
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious Lord God, give us clear vision that we might marvel at the many blessings of this summer day. May we never take for granted your love, your grace, and the profound privilege of gathering together in this place, sharing our lives, singing hymns of praise, and worshiping you. May we be set free and inspired to live, to serve, and to love friend and stranger all to your glory. We are blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The first, le- <clears throat> the first lesson is from the fifth chapter of Galatians. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. American gospel hymn writers of the 20th century. This song was written in 1905. And it, some people think it was the basis for Benny King's Stand By Me as well, so. <laughs> and it reflects also the core teachings here at Trinity, in which we say, you are loved, you're forgiven, and you're never alone. storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou rulest wind and water, stand by me. Thou wind and water stand by me in the midst of tribulation stand by me in the midst of tribulation stand by me when the host of hell assail and my strength begins to lost a battle, stand by me. Thou never lost a battle, stand by me. Thou never lost a battle, stand by me. 
of faults and failures stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures stand by me. When I do the best I can and my friends misunderstand, thou knowest all about me, stand by me. Thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in battle array, understand to take my way. Thou who save Paul and Silas, stand by me. Thou who save Paul and Silas, stand by me. Thank you, Arnie, Ron, Sheila. We are blessed with so many wonderful musicians in our midst. It makes our life richer, and uh, we are blessed. I would like to address this morning a few of the uh, most pressing, controversial social issues that are before us at this time. Gun control, gun violence, abortion, the Supreme Court, January 6th investigation. Our country, if you haven't noticed, is divided. Here at Trinity Lutheran Church, a church where everybody's welcome, there are a wide variety of opinions. Each of us have been informed by our own life experience, by the news that we consume, and by long-held values. So how should we navigate these waters? As Christian people called to serve and entrusted with the right to vote, we need to navigate these waters together. Where should we look? We should look to Jesus. 
start there. If we do so, will complicated issues suddenly become clear? No, not, not at all. You know, Jesus never said a word about gun control or birth control or abortion. But the teachings of Jesus should inform every aspect of our lives. So start with Jesus and check yourself from time to time to make sure that your words and your actions are in line with Jesus. So is the way of Jesus complicated? Is it difficult to comprehend? Let me ask you, if someone, someone were to ask you what it means to follow Jesus, could you answer? Could you answer simply? Could you answer in seven words? Maybe after this sermon, you could. We are receiving new members today. What a joy that will be. What will it mean for us to follow Jesus with them, all of us, together? Now, our readings for this morning, Mike kind of started out for us, come from Paul's letter to the early church in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. The Christian church in its infancy was trying to understand the teachings of Jesus. Could the teachings of Jesus be summed up in seven words? Now, Paul was the consummate Jew, an overachiever who persecuted the church, hoping to keep Judaism pure and undefiled. He met Jesus on the Damascus Road. He was converted by grace. Paul would then take the gospel of Jesus across borders to a vast array of cultures, to Jew and Gentile alike. In his letter to the Christian church in Galatia, Paul considered the 612 laws of Judaism and a variety of contending philosophies that were popular in his day, and he simplified them into a single sentence. Join me in reading the sentence. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, where did that come from? From Jesus, of course. It came from Jesus. And in theory, it's very simple, but in practice, it's not always so easy. And so a Jesus story from the Gospel of Luke. A Jewish lawyer stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you tell me. You tell me what is written in the law. How do you understand it? And the lawyer responded thoughtfully, saying, the way I read it, it does not seem that complicated. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. It was just a few words from the lawyer. If he was billing, maybe $300. It was a simple answer referencing the Old Testament law. Love God, love neighbor, love yourself. The simple answer was good enough for Jesus. The rabbi was pleased. Jesus, not looking for a fight or a debate, looked at the lawyer and said, nicely done, my friend. Your studies have paid off. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. This is really all you need to know. Case settled. Jesus started to walk away. But the lawyer was not quite satisfied. He said, wait, Rabbi, wait. Do let me ask one more question. Jesus stopped and turned toward the man. He said, go ahead, what is it? He said, if I am 
to inherit eternal life, then I must love my neighbor. But, but tell me, Rabbi, tell me, who's included? Who is my neighbor? Well, this was going to take a little longer than Jesus had planned. He was going to be late for dinner. Who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus was pretty sure that this man had some concept of neighbor. After all, the lawyer had neighbors. He had family members who lived nearby. Certainly, they were neighbors. He also had neighbors who were stockbrokers and doctors and teachers and software engineers. He had neighbors that he saw at the athletic club or the golf club. He had neighbors, good Jews, all of them. All of his neighbors were Jews. Jesus was not looking for a fight. He said, my friend, let's see if we can figure this out together. I will tell you a story, and then perhaps you can answer your own question. The crowd settled in. It was story time with Jesus, and it began like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, please note, folks, that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is all downhill. The journey is some 15 miles with an elevation change of about 3,400 feet. Now, those hearing the story had walked this pathway many times, so the stage was set for him. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he he was going about his business, life happened. Wait, what happened? Life, you know, life, unpredictable. Unpredictable. Random, dangerous, one detour after another. Life never goes exactly as planned, does it? Inflation, car accidents, troubling test results, political unrest. Life happens, and when it does, oftentimes we're beat up, we're beat down. We're beat up by our family, we're beat down at our workplace, we're run over by politics or betrayal. We're generally broken. Life happens. It happens to all of us. A man was headed down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was minding his own business when suddenly, without warning, robbers jumped out of the bushes. And they took his money, and they stole his iPhone, and they stripped him of all of his clothing, and they beat the tar out of him, and they left him in a ditch, broken and bloodied. There he was, unable to help himself. He was sure to die, to die right there in the ditch somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho. Then along came a priest, a Jewish holy man, God's professional, a man who interpreted and studied God's law. The priest saw the man lying in the ditch. It was a pathetic sight, to say the least. But the priest, the priest was in a hurry. Because, well, he was always in a hurry. He had things to do and people to see. His holy work work was more important than that man in the ditch. And so he looked very closely, and he could see that he did not recognize the man. So it wasn't his problem. And it wasn't his business. So what did he do? He crossed over to the other side of the pathway, and he kept right on going. And as he kept right on going, he was muttering under his breath, God, I give you thanks. I give you thanks for everything that you've given me. That could have been me in the ditch. Thank you, Lord, and please help that broken man. Jesus then looked at the lawyer, who was kind of 
scratching his head. But Jesus was not done. He was just warming up. He continued. A short time later, a Levite came down the pathway with a bounce in his step. Now, a Levite, though a subordinate to a priest, was still a respected religious leader. His strict adherence to the law defined his life and gave him a place of honor in the community. His neighbors respected him for his faithfulness and his integrity. The Levite heard something. He heard a man groaning down in the ditch. He looked down. What a disgusting sight it was. A bleeding, nearly naked stranger. It was gross. The Levite did not recognize the man. And he did not have time to get involved. Make no mistake about it. Any effort to help this man was going to be messy and complicated. Tossing a $20 bill was not going to do it. This was going to take time, and he did not have time. He had to be about God's work. He had sermons to write, hospital visits to make, and emails to return. So what did he do? He crossed over to the other side of the path, and he kept right on going. And as he walked, he raised his hands to heaven saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for providing me with safe passage this day. Those Roberts, they could have gotten me. The lawyer now had a puzzled look on his face. Where was Jesus going with all this? Jesus continued. Then along came a Samaritan. The lawyer's eyes lit up. You see, Samaritans were ignorant of God's law. They were half-breeds, despised outcasts, Good religious Jews, like the lawyers, stayed away from the Samaritans. It was the law. Jesus continued, when the Samaritan saw the bloody man lying in the ditch, he was moved by pity. He wanted to help, but how? He looked down in the ditch, and then he looked left, and then he looked right. If he were not careful, what could happen? There was risk involved, you see, in this intervention. The bandits that left this man for dead, they could still be lurking around anywhere waiting for the next victim. He had to be careful. And so, what did he do? He had second thoughts. He had things to do. And besides, he could recognize that man in the ditch was not one of his own. Let someone else deal with this, he thought. But he could not walk away. And so one precarious step at a time, he made his way down into the ditch. And when he got down to the bottom, he sat down in the ditch and held this broken man in his arms, and he gave him some water. He said, you're going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. You're not alone anymore. The Samaritan treated his wounds with oil and carefully bandaged up his wounds. He picked him up. He struggled to get up the bank of the ditch and back to the path where the, his donkey had been waiting for them. He placed him on his donkey. He wiped the blood from his hands, and he headed off to the local Holiday Inn. They got a room. And all night long, the Samaritan checked on the bruised and battered man, giving him water, giving him comfort, assuring him that he was not alone. The next day, the Samaritan had to go. He was late for his business. So he gave his American Express card to the innkeeper and said, whatever he needs, whatever he needs to recover, give it to him, and I'll be back in a few days, and I'll settle all those accounts. Now, Jesus paused now. He looked at the lawyer. He said, okay, my friend, you ask me a question. 
Now help me answer your question. You wanted to know how to define your neighbor, so let me ask you, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the lawyer responded in the only way that made sense. He said, the one who showed mercy. The Samaritan was a good neighbor to the man in the ditch. Jesus smiled. He looked at the lawyer and said, now go and do likewise. The one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy was a neighbor to the man who did not, he did not know and could not recognize. That's the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That is Jesus' defined mission statement, John 10, 10. Abundant life for all the children of God, that was always the goal. Jesus came, you see, to change us. Jesus came to change human history, a story dominated by what? Tribalism and violence and ethnic cleansing and an irrational fear of those from other tribes, those who did not look like us. Jesus came to change us. So tell me now that you've heard this story that Jesus told, whose life was changed in this story? The priest? No. The priest's life was not changed. I suppose his heart was hardened a little bit, but in general, nothing changed for him. He was unable to recognize the man in the ditch as his brother, and so he walked on by unchanged. Was the life of the Levite changed? No. It was business as usual for him. And business as usual rarely changes one's life. The Levite walked by. He missed the opportunity to find his life in service there in the ditch. Now, the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, uh, now his life was changed. In fact, his life was saved. He was near death, and he was brought back to life. I think it's safe to say that he would never look at life the same way again. Now, every breath for him was sweet. Every sunset was spectacular. His life was changed, and he would never view Samaritans with disdain again. And the Samaritan himself, his life was changed, just as our lives are changed by loving and serving others. His life was changed when he realized that the man from another tribe bled the same red blood as he did. His life was changed when he realized that we are all pretty much the same. Flags, borders, skin colors, party affiliation, or orientation does not change the fact that we are all pretty much the same, children of God. We long to love and be loved. We long to live in a world of peace. We want our children and our grandchildren to be safe and happy. And if you travel the world, if you spend time with Muslims and Russians and Syrians and Ethiopians and Iranians, you're going to find that people are people. Pretty much the same, no matter what they eat or who they say their prayers to. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Am I my brother's keeper? Jesus says they all are. They're all your neighbor. And yes, you are your brother and sister's keeper. The Samaritan, the one who showed mercy, 
was the unlikely hero of the story, the one who showed mercy. What does it mean for you to show mercy to your children or your parents or your spouse? Might you cut them a break? Treat them with a little more respect or kindness? After all, you know, they're stuck living with you. What might it look like if we were to show mercy to the immigrant, to the unwed mother, to those who find themselves on the other side of political debates? It's a jungle out there, lots of hurting people. So when we see the battered lying in the ditch, are we going to walk by? Are we going to bandage their wounds? The whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There you see it. Seven words, remember? I promised you seven words that you can remember when you leave here today. And what do those seven words have to say about abortion and gun control and immigration and your relationship with your spouse? Those seven words say everything. Because everything should be viewed through the lens of those seven words. Seven words that should inform our politics, our voting, our charitable giving. Seven words that promote civil and respectful discourse. Seven words. This is the lens that was given to us by Jesus. But often lost in those seven words are the final two. Perhaps it's easier or less painful to focus on the first five, you shall love your neighbor. The first five words cannot be separated from the final two. Two little words are the key, the key to loving your spouse and your children, your coworkers and strangers. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So can we learn to love the person who looks back at us in the mirror Can we forgive that one? All of our stories are human stories, faithfulness and betrayal, regret and shame. Jesus knows your story, and Jesus loves you. But that's not enough. Jesus needs you to love the person who looks back at you in the mirror because only then can you love your neighbor. Seven words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Abundant life depends on the first five and the last two, and they cannot be separated. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing our hymn of the day, Beautiful Savior.
God in prayer. Mike's going to lead us in the prayers. Uh, each petition will end guided by the Spirit. We pray in our response. Hear our prayer. Loving and Holy Spirit of God, we lift our hearts in faith to you who hears all prayers and holds close all those in need. God of love and joy, peace and patience, we thank you for your guidance in our lives. May all who claim the name of Jesus be beacons of hope as they mirror his actions and live out his love for all people. Guided by the Spirit, we pray. God of kindness, generosity, and faithfulness, remember all those whose lives have been impacted by the recent floods in Montana and Bangladesh, by fires and heat in many places, and by the effects of generational environmental neglect. May we honor your wish that we restore the face of the earth. Guided by the Spirit, we pray. God of gentleness and self-control, may the Spirit guide all who govern in this country and this world, that they may bear in mind the wishes for abundant life for all your children and end the horror of war and authoritarian domination. Curb our warring madness and let us be agents of peace. Guided by the Spirit, we pray. God, you have asked us to love our neighbor. May we seek to do your will as we bring comfort and aid to any who are ill or suffering any distress. May we be guided by the Spirit as we gently minister to those who are near the end of this earthly journey and will soon join that faithful cloud of witnesses. Hold them in your hand. Guided by the Spirit, we pray. Holy God, you gather the whole universe into your radiant presence. Bring healing to all wounds. Make whole all that is broken. Speak truth to all illusion and shed light in every darkness. We trust all to your care through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're receiving new members at uh, both services today uh, who have taken classes with us and are going to be joining. So I'm going to read their names. They're, some of them are coming to the 10 o'clock service. Some are coming to this service. But as I read your name, please uh, come forward. Sandy Moon, Laurel and Rick Wakrilowick, uh, Susan Lewis, Amy and Dana Mellick. Come on up, Sandy. Come on up. Donna and Joe Sheldon, Koyla Shepard, Sue Williams, Everett Winsberg, Manny Ziegler. Okay, here comes Everett. All right. Congregation may be seated. All right. So we, uh, we gather you here close around the baptismal font. Come up a little closer here. Uh, because this is, the, this is the place where activity happens in the church. Uh, this is where young people are married. This is where confirmands affirm their faith. This is where babies and 
older people are baptized. This is where we'll soon be sending off our young people to church camp. And you stand here now where pretty much everyone out there has stood in the past. Thousands of people have stood at this baptismal font. You come uh, unique in your life, your life experience, your religious experience, your faith, your doubt, the questions that you bring, uh, your talents, they all make us richer. St. Paul talks about um, how we need every part of the body to make the body whole. And so we are never going to be whole again without the four of you. And we're just so happy for everything that you bring to us, from your questions to your experience uh, to your service. And we celebrate that. Uh, we celebrate that today as we welcome you and the rest of the uh, members of your class. So really, what's happening here is uh, this is an affirmation of your baptism. This is saying, at this point in my life, I want to follow Jesus with this particular family who's smiling back at me right now. There they go. Uh, I want to join this family and the mission of this church where everybody's welcome and we seek to make a difference for our community and our neighborhoods and the world together. And so it is that um, I would ask you if you can step down on each side and touch the waters of the font. Okay, and then go ahead and make the sign of the cross on your forehead. And I'm going to ask you uh, to take these vows. And these are the same vows that we'd ask someone being baptized, the same vows that the people take when they reaffirm their baptisms or confirm their faith. I ask you, do you intend to continue in the covenant that God made with you in holy baptism? Everett, Sandy, Rick, Laurel. What does that mean? It means to live among God's faithful people. It means to hear the word of God and share in the Lord's Supper together. It means to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through your words and your deeds, to serve all people following the example of Jesus and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. You don't do it alone. Those are big vows. We do it together. We're covenanting together today at this moment when you join the church. So if that is your intention, if you'd answer by saying, I do. I do. Very good. And now, um, folks, I would invite you to stand up. If it is your intention to welcome these folks and those others printed in your bulletin, welcome them into your social circles, your service circles in the church, and into the coffee hour and into full faith here at Trinity Lutheran Church. If that is your intention, uh, answer like you mean it. Say, we do. We do. And let's hold a hand up as we pray for these folks. Gracious God, we give you thanks for Laurel and Rick, for Sandy and Everett. We give you thanks for their faith and the unique journeys that has brought them now to become a part of our church family. We pray for them every day. We pray that your spirit would surround them and give them comfort. We pray that they would be reminded always that they are loved, that they are forgiven, and they are never alone. Bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And everyone welcomes them with a round of applause. And we have um, Trinity, uh, Trinity crosses for you.
All right, now I'm going to put you to work because this is about work. Look out at those folks and say, the peace of the Lord, the peace of the Lord be with you. Please share a sign of peace and greeting. Welcome. That wasn't so bad, huh? No. It wasn't too hard. Deacon Amy? This is our crew going with us this morning. We've got the van all loaded, and we're about to head out the door. So um, we offer a thank you to all of you for supporting us, for allowing us to do these fantastic things. It is so, so good that we can do this, that we can be together. Um, I ask now a blessing on our group as we travel. So if you would hold out a hand to the group. God, we ask your blessing on those of us who will attend camp this week. Keep us safe and help us know that you are always with us, even when we are apart from family and home. May our time at camp be a time of growth in your spirit and delight in your creation. We pray for a safe return and look forward to seeing the ways that you have worked in our lives through outdoor ministry. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Okay. So, you can head on up. out right away so thank have fun kids uh, oh there's Dan have fun there they go off to camp up all night <laughs> bathroom down the hall if you get in trouble you were from St. Peter's <laughs> altar flowers today uh, Verna Lawson put the altar flowers uh, George and Carol Fisher, who aren't here this morning, they're away at a wedding, but they're married 65 years this weekend. And then uh, Mike and Lana Johnson, look at that. That's Mike and Miss Lana, 40 years ago. 
and they haven't, haven't changed a bit. So uh, there you go. Uh, other announcements and lots of other announcements printed in your bulletin. would encourage you after the service, come on over for coffee hour. We also set up that uh, there's coffee heading out in the courtyard. It's beautiful to be out in the courtyard right now. And uh, so please do come to that. But also, Laura Camby has set up a, a coffee hour challenge for you. On the wall in the coffee hour, uh, there are pictures of feet. And if you can guess whose feet they are in the parish... Uh, then someone's going to get a $30 gift card to Whibby Coffee. So go in there, fill out your form, drop it in the hat, um, and talk to Laura if none of this makes sense to you. Um, Janet Ferguson, thank you for the beautiful pyramids, uh, the beautiful salmon up here in the pyramids um, as well. I should tell you Roy Billings died this morning. Uh, many of you knew Roy and Edith Billings. Uh, Edith is still alive, but Roy died this morning. It's been a long exit for him, so... Um, thanks be to God for a good journey, good uh, life lived. But that's Laura Castle's father, so Laura and Cam Castle. Daryl Dyer asked me for a personal minute, and Daryl's got seniority on everybody. So, Daryl, come on up. Use the mic here, though, if you're going to. Yeah, come on up. As most of you know, <laughs> Last Sunday morning, about 6.30, Carol went down in the shower. Um, she got dizzy and went down. I heard a big thump while I was eating my Cheerios, and I went in and found her. She was all covered with soap, lathered. I hosed her off, <laughs> and she was out of it. She claimed she just got dizzy, but once I got her hosed off and dried a little bit, she... I had also in my hand the phone talking to the emergency operator, and she wanted me to get her bathrobe back on because she didn't want to be naked when they came. <laughs> and I listened to Jim's sermon this morning. He must have had a video camera going on us all week because those EMTs, and there wound up being four of them with two ambulances, they were fantastic went beyond their profession. The feelings that they shared were, were just beautiful. Talked to her when they finally got her going. Went to the hospital, and I know that our local hospital sometimes is criticized, but the staff that cared for Carol and worked with her, she was so pleased and so impressed. They were beautiful. You just can't the feeling, I was there for many hours, and I saw those people. And I, I swear Jim was there, because he must have seen those people when he wrote that sermon. One last word, thank you very much. She is home right now. She's looking pretty good. We don't know what all the problems are. But she wanted to say thank you to you people. Thank you for your prayers and your caring. I just can't say enough for those people who have thought of her. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. And hopefully she's watching the second service, not that one. Um, <laughs> a lot of information there. But um, we're, going, <laughs> we're just going to pause. Uh, we kind of have a little change in the what we're going to we're going to be a, a moment of just reflection uh, before we move the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Sheila and Aniela are going to uh, 
place a beautiful piece for us.
You can remain standing. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we lift our hearts now to God. It's prayer, singing together Lord, Lord's Prayer. this sanctuary and go out those doors, go out those doors and love your neighbor and love yourself. And as you go, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're sending him Lord of all hopefulness.